Shall we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for the stripes of Jesus. We thank you that He died, that we may be. We thank you that He was poor, so that we would become rich. We thank you that He took our ashes and gave us His beauty. We thank you that He became sin, that we would become Your righteousness. In the name of our Lord Jesus, and we pray that may Christ alone. Be exalted in our discussion, in the name of our Lord Jesus, Amen. We thank God for another evening, another day. We thank God for the gift of life. We thank God for qualifying us for life, and we do not take it for granted. We are continuing our study on why the wilderness, and we didn't really tackle into the details of why God took them through the wilderness, but we give a background view. And it's very important for us to understand that the wilderness is a mandatory experience for everybody God considers His child. Remember, we said that the only reason why God would be interested in your case or in you, the only reason why God would be interested in training you, in correcting you, in chastising you, is because He considers you a son or a child. So even in Hebrews chapter two, He says that verse number six. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens, and whips every son whom He receives. <laughs> for if you endure chastening, God is dealing with you as a son. For what son is him whom the father does not chasten? So you can just read further the verse eight, the verse nine, and it talks more about the fact that we respect our earthly fathers because they chasten us. So I don't want you to remind you that the reason why God will be interested in taking you through the wilderness is because He considers you as a son. So when you are going through the wilderness, know that God is dealing with you as a son. Now, I want to re—I want to repeat this truth that the wilderness season is a constant season for every believer. However, the duration. In which you spend in the wilderness is dependent on how well you learn what God wants to teach, how well you are responsive to His lessons. So you determine how long you will spend in that wilderness. So even though the journey was supposed to be for eleven days, the Israelites mysteriously took forty years, and we'll be looking into all these things as the study proceeds. And we ended on the note that one of the critical things. Or one of the signs of a matured believer, or a growing believer, or a believer who is interested in a spiritual walk, is that you are able to perceive the move of God. You are able to sense the dealings of God. Just as I was going through last week's note, I just remembered the story in the book of Genesis. Now let's read from the verse sixteen. It says that, and she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a bow shot. For she said, "Let me not look upon the death of my child or the child." And she sat over him, and lifted up her voice and wept. Now I hope you know the story. Abraham had sat um Hagar and the son Ishmael, and they took water and I think bread also. 
then they were going in the wilderness and their water got finished, everything got finished. So they were at the point of dying. So this is what the Bible said. The Bible said that Hagar left the child from what you see in our times as a, a stone true because she said she couldn't look as her son dies. But now listen to the last part of the verse 16. It said, and she sat over against him and lifted up her voice and wept. Now listen to what the verse 17 says. And God heard the voice of the lad. This is very interesting. No way are we told that the boy was the one who cried. It was the mother who was crying. But God says that he didn't hear the woman's cry or Hagar's cry. He heard the son's cry. And this is very important, but that's not what you're looking at. Many of the blessings many people enjoy is because of their association with certain people, not necessarily because of them. So the reason why God heard the cry was not because of Hagar, but because of the son's cry. Please to humble many of us because there are many things you are enjoying in your life is because of your association with certain people that do yourself you are not aware. But that's just um, a top up course. But the main deal is in the next verse. God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. This is very interesting. The Bible said God opened her eye. The Bible didn't say that and God made a well. Genesis chapter 21. I want you to look at it. Verse 19. And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. That means all along the well of water was there, but she could not see. And I always tell people that the Bible says in Isaiah that he who is willing and obedient would eat the good of the land. So that prosperity is not in a geographical place. Prosperity is not in a continent. Prosperity is not in a country. Prosperity is being in the will of God. That is where prosperity is. So whether you are in the pits, if that is where the will of God is, you will prosper. And we even see that in Genesis chapter 39 verse 2, talking about Joseph, the Bible said that, and Joseph prospered, even though he was a slave. In Genesis chapter 39 verse 2, there was a scripture I learned a long time. And God was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptians. So even though Joseph was asleep, he was prospering because he was in the will of God. He could perceive what God was doing and he could position himself there. Your ability to see what God is doing goes a long way to influence how long you will stay in the wilderness. So now let's go into today's message. We are perusing Deuteronomy chapter 8. Ideally, we should have looked at the verse 2 and the verse 3, but as I was preparing my study, I realized that the verse 2 is loaded so i think for tonight we will just be on a verse two then come in the next week we do the verse three so deuteronomy chapter eight the verse number two i would encourage as many if it's possible to open your bibles i'll be reading now more than one verse just to let us appreciate what is going on so it says for them that from the verse one i'll be using a basic english so that you may have life and be increased and go in and take heritage of the land which the Lord by oath gave to your fathers. Now the verse 2 is what we are perusing for tonight. It says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, that's one, to prove you, that's two, to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. Yeah. It is very loaded. Let me take another version. Let me use the um, ISV version. 
He says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the desert to humble you and test you in order to make known what is in your heart or not. Please, let's take it again. I think the scripture we should memorize. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Remember how the Lord your God led you all these ways and to test what is in your heart or to test you in order to make known what is in your heart as to whether you would obey the Lord or as to whether you keep his commandment or not. Let me read the AKJV. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to prove you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Let me just read the ISV. Remember how the Lord your God led you all these 40 years in the desert to humble you or to humble and test you. What was the essence of humbling and testing you? To make known what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commandment. This is the first course or the first subject or the first program or however you want to put it in the university of the wilderness is that God must test your heart because the state of your heart is the single most important determinant of whether you would pass the school of the wilderness or not. That is why God told the prophet Samuel that men look on the outward, but I look on the heart. What is God saying? God is saying that men draw conclusions. Men make a particular stance based on what they see on the outward. So the reason why a man will say this or that is because of what he sees on the outward. So the reason why a man will say, I want this lady or I don't want this lady. I want this guy or I don't want this guy. I would employ this person or I will not employ this person. I would work with this person or I will not work with this person. What men use is the outward. But the thing that qualifies a man to be on God's side is the state of his heart. I really wish you could understand how important this is. That is why there are so many people who do not seem to qualify for us. But these same people are the ones that qualify before God. Because whether you like it or not, as long as you are not God, and you don't have, in quote, a third eye, you cannot see what the state of a man's heart is. Nearly, or you cannot just, just by looking at a man, see the state of his heart. So the single most important determinant in God choosing a man in qualifying or passing through the test of the wilderness or the university of the wilderness is the state of your heart. So the state of your heart is very important before God. And whether you realize it or not, every day God is testing you to know the state of your heart. In fact, throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament and even the New Testament, this was the main criteria in God selecting people and rejecting people. The state of the heart was what made the difference between King Saul and King David. The state of the heart was what made the difference between um, Judas Iscariot and Peter. The state of the heart was what made the difference between Gehazi and Elisha and Elijah. The state of the heart is what made Abraham so great. And we will want to just look at these things briefly. We will not read the scriptures, but I believe you are familiar with these stories. So now we know that God will take you through various tests to know the state of your heart. And let's see some various tests that God took some people through in order to know the state of their hearts. The first one, of course, is Gehazi. You know that um, Naaman, the Syrian army general, came to the prophet. He had leprosy. 
And the prophet told or sent Gehazi to tell him that go to the river Jordan, I think, and go and dip yourself seven times. And you know, initially, no man was hesitant. But after he did, and the Bible said his skin was restored as that of a baby, the Bible said he came back and he wanted to give an offering to Elijah. But Elijah said, no, this is not the time to receive an offering. This is very important. But Gehazi, because of the state of his heart, even after Nehemiah went, the Bible said he followed after. And when he went, he lied and said that, oh, the prophet has just got some visitors, so he wants some of the things. And even Nehemiah gave him more. And when he came back and Elisha asked him that, where have you been? He lied. And Elisha was like, don't you know when you were going, I was there with you. So what disqualified Gehazi was the state of his heart. And this test is what everybody goes through. And this is the same thing that Abraham said. Now, you know, in Genesis, after, you know, when Abraham and Lot separated, the Bible said that Lot, uh, when he looked, he looked at um, a pastor that was being, not knowing it was created five kings. And the Bible said that Lot and the family were also taken as slaves. And somebody came to give Abraham the hint that his cousin Lot has been captured. So the Bible said that Abraham gathered about 318 men and they went to fight to redeem the captives. And Abraham won. Now, on his way back, Abraham met two kings. The king of Salem, that's Melchizedek, and the king of Sodom. Now, the king of Salem gave him bread and wine, symbolizing the body and the blood of Jesus. That's another issue. Then Abraham also gave him tithe. That's when tithe started. So tithe came before the Lord. But you really, let me leave that one. Then there was another one called Sodom, the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom came and told Abraham that, we know that we are slaves to one king and you have come to deliver us. So the king of Sodom told Abraham, that time was called Abraham, not Abraham, that, please give me my people, but you can keep the properties. Now, Abraham made a very interesting statement. Abraham said that, I have raised my hand to God. That, and he said that, I will not take anything from you to Look at the state of Abraham's heart. Now, many of us do not appreciate this. And the same thing that also happened to Joseph. Joseph, when he was in Potiphar's wife, he had an option to sleep with Potiphar's wife. And which other way, or which way can you think of rising into a place of authority when you are asleep than doing this? But because of the state of Joseph's heart, he said, I will not sin against God. He didn't say, I will not sin against my master. I will not sin against you, or I will not sin against my body. He says, I will not sin against God because the guy was conscious of the fact that this is not how God promotes people. And that was the same thing that Abraham knew. He knew that God was going to make him rich and he didn't need the vulnerability of Sodom to become rich. And the same thing that happened between David and Saul. Now, David and Saul is a more classical example because you know that David was anointed as king at the age of 16 and he was the armor bearer of Saul. He had won many victories for King Saul. Yet still Saul was envious and jealous of him. And for over 10 years, Saul was pursuing David's life. And David had two clear opportunities to kill King Saul. And this guy is interesting. The guy said that, and now David knew that Saul was tormented of an evil spirit because you knew that a time came that when the evil spirit came upon King Saul, David came to play an instrument. And whenever he played the instrument, the evil spirit departed. And even when he was playing the instrument, one time Saul took a javelin and was trying to pin David, but David escaped. 
And for over 10 years, Saul was pursuing David's life. And David had several opportunities. In fact, he had two clear opportunities to kill Saul. But David said, how dare I touch the anointing of the Lord? Now look at it. This is a guy or this is a king who has backslided. This is a king who is possessed by evil spirit. Even though he was backslided, as long as he was a king, and as long as there has not been a legal transition, David dare not touch King Saul. That was the state of David's heart. Now, let me bring this point into our contemporary times. You know, if you're somebody, um, I don't know the word to use, but at the forefront of ministry or somebody who is a church worker, let me put it that way, there are many times God will test the state of your heart and everybody will go through this test. There are certain offerings and certain seeds people will give to you that you should not accept. And that's what Abraham did. You know that Abraham didn't reject. You know, a time came Abimelech when Abimelech wanted to sleep with Sarah. And God came to warn Abimelech. And God told Abimelech to bring David offerings. And when Abimelech brought the offering, Abraham took it. But this same Abraham, before that, when Sodom brought the, uh, the king of Sodom, told him that, give me my people, but you take the properties. Abraham said that, I won't take it. At least you will say, power has made me rich. Now, why did Abraham refuse it? Because Abraham knew that the king of Sodom was in a vulnerable place. And you don't capitalize on the vulnerability of people for your promotion. It's an evil heart. So now there are many people who are church workers and everybody goes through this test. There are many times you'll be of help to somebody. And sometimes some people can be at a very vulnerable state. Now let me make this more more real. Mostly prophets. Sometimes this guy is a genuine prophet of God and God has given this person um, a word of knowledge or a prophecy concerning somebody. Now immediately this person delivers the prophecy and he sees that the prophecy is accurate. Sometimes the prophet notices a period of vulnerability or um, or an opportunity to exploit people. So the prophet is a good prophet or he's an accurate prophet, the Holy Spirit prophet. He gave an accurate prophecy and he's realizing that this person I have given a prophecy to is willing to give anything to this person as a sometimes to young men. Sometimes you know you have what they call daughters in Christ or however my daughter, my son and all those things. Sometimes you notice that this daughter is vulnerable and many people play on the emotions of the vulnerability of people in a church to exploit them. This shows that the state of their heart is not right before God. Now look at David and Saul. David had every right to kill Jonathan because he's self-defense. You are trying to kill me, but David did not. Look at Abraham. I have conquered your enemy, so legally I should be a ruler over you. But Abraham said, no, I won't accept it. Man of God is not every seed that you must accept. I think I must say it again. Man of God, (laughs) it's not every seed that you must accept. Man of God, in fact, you should not be demanding of seed from people. You see, because most often than not, when somebody comes to give you a prophecy that's accurate, you feel a certain kind of oblast to give. And the person should, of his own volition, try and give. But many people, when they see that their members are vulnerable, then they start saying, Go and bring me 1,000. Go and bring me 2,000. And sometimes these prophets know very well that what they are asking of the members don't have. But they'll tell you, go and take money from a friend and come and sow this seed. You see a university student who is barely able to feed him or herself three times a day. And you demand of this person 1,000 cities or 2,000 cities and money that you know this person cannot afford. Now, we all use words like stretching my faith and that bring your Isaac and all sorts of fantastic scriptures. Now, my question is, how many times did God ask Abraham to bring his Isaac? 
You sometimes they told you bring your you have brought your Isaac like 10,000 times. How many times did God place a demand on Abraham to bring his Isaac? That's number one. And number two was that God knew Abraham had an Isaac, so he demanded for an Isaac. But many people or many men of God, when they notice the vulnerability of members, they begin to make outrageous demands on them. And you see, God will take you through these experiences. There are some times that people will bring you seeds or people will bring you offerings that you should know when to reject them and when to accept. But sometimes due to the greed of our hearts. Let's look at the scripture in Titus. When Paul was talking to Titus about church leaders, the apostle Paul made a very interesting statement. Titus chapter 1, the verse number 11. Let's have the verse um, 9, so you get what Paul is saying. You see that holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, talking about the people that Titus should qualify as church leaders, that he may be able by sound to exhort and to convince disputers. Now verse 10, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially day of the circumcision, but who still want to live under the law, the circumcision. Now verse 11, whose mouth must be stopped, and that's what we are aiming to do. We want to stop the mouth of people who are subjecting whole houses, teaching things they ought not to teach. Now, the same verse gives us why. For filthy liquor, sick. This witness is true. So in the wilderness, God will take you to various circumstances to see what is in your heart by the way you respond, especially to the vulnerability of people. The next reason why God will take you to the wilderness is to humble you. And we read it in the Deuteronomy chapter 8, the verse number 2. And you shall remember all the way that the Lord your God led these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you. God will humble you because the dangers of pride is that you become an opposition member to the party of God. <laughs> and it's very important and it's a very deadly state to be in. And next week, I'm sure I'll talk more about humility, but I don't want to say two or three things about humility. And the first thing I said is that when you are not humble, God fights against you. James does that. He gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. So immediately you become proud. The devil no longer fights you. God himself fights you. And I always like to give this example that when you become proud, it's like you are a striker facing um I think right now the best defender is Sergio Ramos. So imagine you are a striker and you are facing Sergio Ramos, you are facing who, who else? Um, Van Dyke, all the big defenders currently playing football. You one man striker, you are facing all of these things. That's how it is to become proud. God himself fights against you. God himself shuts every door. God himself brings you down. God himself demotes you when you become proud. So God must take you to the wilderness and one of the or the experiences that you go through in not to humiliate you, but to humble you. Now, let me just give you two signs of pride. I'll talk more about it next week. But two signs of pride is that one, when you notice classes or when you notice and when you're conscious of classes, groups, sets, and statuses of people, so if you are someone you always notice or you like to put people into groups so you relate with people based on whether they are rich or from a rich background or not you relate with people whether they are intellects or not you relate with people based on their tribes you relate with people based on a certain group things that you are that's one cardinal sign of pride so there are some ladies who don't talk to certain guys because they in quotes they don't meet their standard 
So if you are somebody, you are always conscious of groupings, you are always conscious of classes, you are always conscious of the status of people, then you are a proud person. And God will take you through an experience that will let you know that so you don't see people's stripes, you don't see people's color, you don't see people's races, you don't see people's financial backgrounds, you don't see people's intellect, but many people relate with people on the basis of the grouping that they belong to. So there are some people or there are some ladies that immediately you don't drive a car as a guy, immediately you are not employed as a guy, or immediately you don't have a particular financial standing, they will not relate with you. But immediately, they see that you meet their financial status. Ah, they are, they are the most polite and the most respectful people. I remember a story of a young man of God who went to propose to a lady, a very virtuous woman in the church. And he went to the lady and was like, oh lady, when you sing at church, something does my... And this lady looked at this man of God. And the lady could have just said, oh, man of God, I'm not interested. We can just be friends. This lady looked at this man and was like, how dare you propose to me? <laughs> he says, are we in the same class? When I heard this story, I nearly wanted to call this lady and ask her, please, lady, which class are you in? <laughs> and I was, I was so baffled that someone in the church looked at another guy and told me, what gives you the effrontery to propose to me? You are not in the same class. I wonder which class she was. So pride is what makes people relate with people or you relate differently with people based on their status. So everybody relates with their rich man very respectful. Everybody relates with an elderly person very respectful. So immediately you realize that person is younger than you and you begin to treat the person anyhow. You are proud. You relate with people. I know certain people in church, certain elders in church who don't date ladies when they are not using an iPhone. A lady that uses an iPhone, they are not in this class. I'm like, oh, what a wow. We are conscious of groups and classes and sects. That is why Paul tells us that do not mind high things, but condescend to men of low estate. You should be able to flow with people of different classes. In fact, one, you should not even see the various classes of people. That is why God will take you to the wilderness. That is why God will take you to the backside of life. That is why God will take you to various stages in life so that you will know that you yourself you are nothing but the grace of God. And God will take you through the wilderness to see if you pass these two tests. What is in your heart? And are you humble? And when God has taken you through these two things, then he will know whether you will obey him or not. So he said, and to prove you. So one is to humble you. Two is to know what is in your heart. And the third one is to prove you. And now let me give a perfect example. I was listening to one of my spiritual instructors and he was like, one day God told him something. God told him that when you go to church, teach your people. But let me put it this way. He was like, many people pay tithe out of fear, not out of love. So the day you tell church members that God will bless you regardless of whether you pay tithe or not, because the truth is that God doesn't bless you because you pay tithe. How <laughs> about now, if I've been following to this podcast, you know that God deals with you on the basis of Jesus. He doesn't deal with you on the basis of your act. So you know, most of the time, if you are in church organization or you are in church leadership and you are about to have a fundraising or you want to encourage members to pay tithes, mostly we teach members or we scare members to pay tithes. They always go like, hey, if you do not pay tithes, divorce will come. God will put holes in your, you know, God told them, the Old Testament, that he has put holes in their backs. So when you are putting money, the money is dropping out. He will stand for divorce. He will open the floodgates of heaven. So many people pay tithes because of the fear 
of the consequences of what will happen if they don't pay tithe. So the day you tell people that sweet that God will bless you regardless of whether you pay tithe or not, you would notice that your tithe will start dwindling. So in other words, the reason why many people pay tithe is out of the fear of the consequences of not paying tithe. And this is how we see the state of people's heart. That is why, that is what grace does. So grace lets you know that you are at liberty to do all things. And when you are given the freedom, that is when you will see whether truly you would obey God because you love him or you obey God out of the fear of the consequences of your actions. That is why the standards of grace is higher than that of the law. Because grace is liberty. So Paul said that I am at liberty to do all things. It's lawful for me to do all of it, anything. Because you're under grace. That's the truth. Under grace, you can do anything. And then is when God is seeing what is in your heart. Well, that's where society started from. Abraham. When Abraham won the victory, out of the acknowledgement of the fact that it was God who gave him the victory, he paid a tithe. But many of us are paying tight because we want God to open the flag. Many of us are paying tight because we want to seal our bags. We don't want to uh, drop money into the bag and the bag and the money will come off. So grace proves you whether you truly obey God out of love or out of fear. That is why sometimes you realize that even when you sin or even when you don't do what is right, God still blesses you. And it's like you are wondering, like, hey, is God tricking me? God is seeing the state of your heart. So sometimes God will not mind when you are doing so many things just so that he will know whether you truly love him or you are only doing those things because you fear him. And that's what the last part says it, that um, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So, so that God will put you to various tests. Yeah, there can be a season of your life that you will not be paying tight and God will keep promoting you and promoting you and blessing you and blessing you and blessing you. And all that God is doing is whether you would come to the realization that all that you have and all that you are is God. So take out fear from Titan and you would rather that many people will not pay tight. God will take you to the wilderness to, to humble you, to prove you and to know what is in your heart. I would like to pause here, even as I invite my friends to also give their commentary. Benji will give his commentary first. So I invite Benji. Okay, um, thank you. I want to touch on a few things that I would want us to also learn. Yes, yeah, so I think and it's very expedient that we get to learn this lesson here yeah, because God is not just interested in we following him because the word of God, yeah, it says, for the word of God is quick and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the word of God actually discerns our thoughts and the intents or the thinking patterns of our hearts. And that's why you read the book of Second Chronicles chapter 25 verse 2. Bible was talking about a king called Amaziah. The Bible said that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Yeah. So the king did what was actually right, but the intent or the heart with which he did it was not right. So this presupposes to us that God is not just interested in we're doing just the right things, but the motive that we attach to the things that we do would determine why we are doing what we do. Yeah, that's why some are saying that some people tight out of fear, and sometimes you can even miss the blessing that you ought to get because you are not doing it out of a better understanding. You are doing it out of fear. 
So I just want to entreat us that we should get understanding of the word of God. We should know that there are certain times or seasons that we will go through the waters, and God is going to actually test our love for Him once we are His children. And I want to admonish us that we should pray for grace to pass through the waters. Amen. Amen and amen. God bless you so much. Um, we will invite Abna to give her commentary. Okay, so from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, which we are discussing today, and from the study we just did, we know that God had a purpose for sending the people of Israel through the wilderness. And at the end of the discussion, we've been able to deduce that the purpose was to humble them so that their inner hearts would be revealed. And in the wilderness, we are humbled and tested so that our hearts will be revealed to God. And a perfect example is Job in the Bible. Other examples have been given. So God brings difficult tests our way to see if we will obey him. And the wilderness humbles us in a way that it shatters our pride and self-reliance. So after going through the wilderness, sometimes if, if you are relying on yourself, you become totally dependent on God. Sometimes that's how great the effects or the impact of the wilderness has upon you. And the trials we face when we are in the wilderness create, yes, a dependence on God. I've already said that, yes. So, and God wants us to know that this life is all about trusting Him. So after getting totally dependent on Him, you develop trust in Him. And trusting in God makes it much easier to be able to walk with Him in this life. You're able to follow every step He tells you to take. Sometimes some steps may not be what you think it will be from what we learned last week but then you are able to just trust in him and just follow those steps just because you totally depend on him and you surrender your whole life to him every area of your life to him as well thank you very much thank you too god bless you so much we would invite baba to give us a commentary baba okay thank you very much i would also say from everything that we've learned about God pushing us through the wilderness to test us. I believe that God also does that so that we ourselves will know the intent of our heart because God knows the state of our heart. But then he wants us to know the state of our hearts too because sometimes probably you may think you are in church, you are doing all the things for God, but then if you don't pass through the wilderness, you wouldn't know that maybe what you've been even criticizing, you find yourself in a situation that you've been doing same. So I would also say that to know the intent of our hearts, God will pass us through the wilderness so that we ourselves will be conscious of our own self. So I believe that that is why God takes us through the wilderness so that we ourselves we will know that, yeah, this is how I am. And then I need grace to reshape myself. And then move on. And also to teach us to be humble. Like maybe you may see yourself as the most down-to-earth person in this world, but once you are faced with a situation that may be your wilderness, you never know like how proud you could be. So in order to prevent that, God will pass you through the wilderness to teach you to be humble. So thank you. God bless you. That's very, very true. God already knows the state of your heart. It's left with for you. That's why sometimes you do some things and you are shocked. Examine yourself, judge yourself. For he who judges himself shall not be judged. God bless you so much, Baba. Let's invite Bene to give us a commentary. Okay, thank you so much. Um, I would like to share um, an experience of mine. 
I'm not very sure if I can call it the world and then there's a moment um, the Lord exposed my heart and yeah, he exposed the intent of my heart. So about um, a month or two months ago, I had um, an online academy, um, leadership academy course. And yeah, after the whole program, um, God exposed my heart and he made me know that like, um, I didn't love him as I thought I did. And as we've been discussing, we've learned that the first thing is that um, God will humble you. He will test to prove your character, to know what is in your heart and to find out whether you obey him. So um, prior to that, I felt so confident in my love for God and like, oh, I love God. I love God with all my heart. I could boast and tell people that I love God with all my heart. And there was sincerity in my speech. And so I was so much convinced of my love for God and it got some time there was pride in my heart. I looked down on people who did not really profess as much love to God or yeah, seem to talk about Jesus the way I did. And so through that particular experience, going for that particular academy and speaking to some on certain days, I realized that my main motive for loving God, my main motive for loving Jesus Christ was because I had a hope or I had an assurance that one day in future, God will make me a rich person one day in future god will make me successful and people will stretch forth their hand and say oh because she loves jesus jesus is giving her so much wealth because she loves jesus jesus is making her prosper and all that so when god exposed my heart in that way it was like like it was like a shock i it wasn't a very pleasant moment in fact i was very sad it got sometimes i was very confused and then it humbled me so, so much in a way that's like, at a point I told myself, hey, Adria, like, cool down, like, cool down. You don't really love Jesus Christ as much as you claim. So when you look at other people or something like that, like, cool down. You don't really, you're not really who you claim to be. Yeah, and so God exposed my heart to know that um, following Jesus or my noise that I was making, the shouting or the noise or the, the laughter or whatever, was out of a very evil heart. I love Jesus Christ, so I followed him for what I would um, materially gain for him, you know, because I wanted to serve him in here. So the obedience to was also there. It was difficult for me to obey God, especially when it will cost me or especially when it will, yeah, it was in, in my terms, it was too much for me to do. So yeah, <laughs> um, God exposed my heart in such a way and it humbled me. It, um, it made me know the real intent of my heart. And I want to encourage you that and probably God has exposed your heart or let's say God is dealing with you. Know that God loves you. That's why he's dealing with you and he wants to make you better. Um, after going through the experience, it was very difficult for me. At a point, I felt discouraged. Like reading my Bible, was like, ah. Like, I felt discouraged, but then... God encouraged me and then I was encouraged and little by little I got to know that I do not have to serve God because of what I would gain from him. I do not have to serve God because um, of the material gains or anything like that. I have to serve God for him. And if I am to serve God and God is in the near future, 
God doesn't give me what I expect. Let's say if I'm to serve, so um, such came to my mind that let's say you are serving God for money and um, what I was initially pursuing God for wealth and all that. If I'm to go up or if in the near future, I do not get those things. So I'm, I'm not in quotes rich or I do not have wealth. Does it mean I will say God has forsaken me? Will I um, stop following Jesus Christ because he has not given me the success that I am longing for or I'm, I'm serving him for? Even though it wasn't a very pleasant experience, God helped me and transformed me through it. And so little by little, I've come to understand that I have to serve God because of what he has done for me and trust to him like my life and my future and so now you see when someone asks me or let's say i have friends who are in relationships let's say they are they are dating and all that and sometimes when they ask me let's say why are you not dating or something like that initially my thoughts were well god will give me um, a guy because of what i am doing because i'm serving him because i'm doing this so because I'm serving him, so like God is obliged to give me, let's say, a partner or a beloved. But now, when they ask me, in my mind, I'm like, okay, God has a good purpose for me. It may include a beloved. It may not include a beloved. Either ways, I'll still serve him. Either ways, I'll still love him. So yeah, sometimes when God exposes your heart, it's not a pleasant experience. But when you submit to God, and then you let him help you. Sometimes I've learned that truth makes you miserable, but it transforms. So when God exposes your heart, it makes you miserable. It's not a nice feeling, but it transforms you to become a better person. So let's submit to the discipline of the Lord because he's our father. He loves us and it's all for our good. Thank you. Amen. God bless you so much. I think Ben has a wonderful summary. Will you still love God if I'm going to the wilderness of singlehood or singleness? Would you still love God if you are going to the wilderness of financial handicap? Would you still love God if your health is still failing you? So this wilderness experience, God is just looking at you to see how you would respond. And generally there are two things. He will either give you nothing to see how you would respond when you have nothing. When you are 28, when you are 29, you are 30 and you are a lady and still you have no partner. God is watching at you to see how you respond. You have told yourself that you'll be named under 30, under 30, 40, under 40. And now you are 45 and you can't even afford a car of your own. What to be your reaction? And you may be at the other side, man of God. Do you capitalize on the vulnerability of people to exploit them for money? Do you capitalize on the vulnerability of ladies to play with them emotionally? I had a story of, a, of I'll say, a senior papa. <laughs> you know, we have papa and we have papa. The senior, senior papa. And this guy had proposed marriage to more than three ladies in the same church. And when I heard the story, I tried to defend the thing as much as I know maybe he was just being friendly. But I tried. But <laughs> the evidence is one of them, in fact, more than one of them had already informed the parent that after school, I have somebody who's coming to marry me. No, no, he had told the same story to more than three ladies in the same church. Because when he comes to minister powerfully, 
all the ladies be like, oh man, I'm going to bless me. Oh, this is nice. Sometimes people come and tell up, open up to you about their vulnerability. And their God is looking at you, man of God. He's looking at you to see how you respond to such. So as I was just thinking about it, I was like, oh, my brother is feeling the test. And I was like, hey, God, have I passed this test? Or am I passing this test? Sometimes you'll be shocked at the things you can do. And if God told you that you can do this, you will say me, never, never, never. So God knows the way we are. So he, he won't bother telling us. You want to take you through the wilderness. Then you will know the state of your heart. Psalms 139, our prayer. The verse number 23 and 24, obviously. Oh, this man David, he said, Search me, O God. Hey, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. So said, try me because I don't trust myself. Put me to the test. Expose me to vulnerable people. Expose me to blessings and see if I'll still pay my tithe. Promote me, bless me, even though I'm being disobedient. Let's see. So David was, I had the effort to tell God that God, try me and know my thoughts. And verse 24, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the path or in the way everlasting. This is our prayer to God. Solemnly, we want to tell God, Father, search us, Lord. Why are we doing the things we are doing? Why are we preaching? Why are we sharing? Why are we showing love? Sometimes even in acts of love, you can be so selfish. That's why Paul said that you can give your body to be bent and still you are not doing it out of love. You can be giving money to friends and still your motive is not out of love. Search us, O God. Why do we help people? Search us, O God. Why do we preach the gospel? Search us, O God. Do we exploit the vulnerability of people? Search us, O God. Will we still be committed to the things of God when we are blessed financially and materially? Lord, search us. Try us and see if there be any wicked way. And Father, if there is, please, we know that you never give up on us. Please do not give up on us. Please do not give up on us. Please do not give up on us. May we be true to ourselves. It's okay to lie to everybody. It's okay to even lie to God. <laughs> but to lie to yourself, to tell yourself you are something that you are not, you are doing yourself a great disservice. Father, help us to be true to ourselves. Many of us are projecting an image we are not. Help us, God. Search us in the name of our Lord Jesus. Tonight, we are ending on a very solemn note because we have all been corporates of this. <laughs> Look at the way you complain <laughs> when a blessing is delayed. Look at the way you complain when you have not got a job for years. Look at the way you complain when you are getting broken hearts. Set your hearts. And I just love the scripture. I want to quote it again. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God is leading you in these 40 years to humble you, to prove you, and to know what is in your heart as to whether you will still obey God or not. God bless you all so much for being with us. We really, really appreciate you. God keeps blessing us with more numbers. And we are really grateful for this opportunity to minister to souls that God died for. And we are praying that it is stemming out of a heart of a genuine love for God and for the body. Remember to give God your best, your very best, and make sure that you owe no man nothing but love. See you next week. And bye-bye.
My soul longs for you. This heart beats for you.